Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton, and that's right. We are Wagering Week. You guys can get in touch with us. It's Facebook. It's Twitter. It's Sports Garden. G-A-R-T-E-N. Hashtag S-G-N. The number is 855-4-GARTEN. G-A-R-T-E-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That's how you get in touch with us. It is March Madness on the brain today. We have a lot of that to talk about. We also have to talk about Dak Prescott signing a huge deal. Other NFL free agents that now are free agents. Other guys getting tagged. Who and where will Russ go? Where will Deshaun go? Who will land these guys? We're going to talk about a little football, but it is March Madness, trend stats, numbers, and we also will talk to Chris Penrose as well. All that, oh man, I'm pumped up. I am pumped up this week. March Madness is here. Hey guys, basketball's been on your mind for the last couple of weeks. It's going to be on your mind for the next couple of weeks, so I figured, let's talk some basketball. I am bringing on Chris Penrose. He is host of the Believe in USC Basketball on the Believe Podcast Network, former three-time captain of USC basketball team. And I have to tell you, I can't wait to dig into a lot of stuff, not just about the Pac-12, but a lot with Chris Penrose. Love what he does over there on the Believe Podcast Network. Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Well, Chris, you know, let's start off right away with your USC Trojans. They're the only team in the Pac-12 that is inside the top 25 for most of the year. Uh, We'll get into the rest of the Pac-12 in a moment, but USC... I've been on the show, and I said I kind of don't believe in them, but I believe that they're the best team in the Pac-12 right now. Where do you see them going? How far? What is their strengths? What's their weaknesses? Well, the sky's really the limit for this team if they all play well. Um, I mean, we, we've seen this team win some games that they haven't won or th- that they shouldn't have won, like that UCLA game a little bit ago uh, with the Tajidi hits that three in the corner, and, you know, SC went 10 of 20 from the free throw line, and, four of 16 from the three-point line. Uh, but these these guys don't give up, and that's what's really exciting about them is they could play pretty poorly for 38 minutes of the game and somehow squeak out a win at the very end. Uh, but a couple things. Number one, this is one of the better defensive teams that Andy Enfield's had, and if they lock in and play good D, they can make some big-time noise in the tournament. But some things really concern me about this squad, and they're, they're on the offensive end. There's free-throw shooting, which is going to be very important in, in the tournament, um, and three-point shooting. Yeah, you know, the, they're a tough team for me because it's all against the Pac-12 pretty much, right? You got the loss against UConn, which I don't think in totality is going to look that bad at the end. And they beat BYU, which I'm not sure where to make of that outside of conference. Inside the conference itself, look, Pac-12 had a down year, right? I mean, Oregon, you can say, had an upsetting year compared to what we thought. I mean, Arizona State, I thought they were going to be much better. So, Talk to me about how do you read the schedule for USC? Yeah, it's it's tough. And, you know, I think every team in college basketball is kind of in the same boat with their schedule because with the the COVID procedures and the contact tracing, there were a lot of games that weren't played, especially, you know, in the beginning of the year when usually you have those big, big time blockbuster matchups that were either postponed and weren't rescheduled or they were canceled. And so it's kind of hard to say. Um, But, you know, they have some – they, they have some pretty good wins against, you know, two solid wins against Arizona State, who was picked to finish second in the conference. I mean, you just mentioned they had a down year, and I agree with you, uh, but they still have a lot of talent on that team. Um, and, and, you know, Oregon's a very, very good team who, you know, SC went up 17-1 to one on uh, and, and just blew out of the gym from, from the very start. So they have some really solid wins. And when you look at their losses, you know, the Oregon State loss isn't a, isn't a good loss. It looks pretty bad on their record. Uh, that was at Oregon State, and you know they they just had a very very poor offensive game uh, in Corvallis, uh, and then two losses against Colorado, which you know Colorado is a good team. They're physical. Um, you know they pushed Evan Mobley around quite a bit, uh, which knocked him off his game. Uh, and Tad Boyle's a tough coach to go against. Let's talk about that Oregon team. You just mentioned them. I think that they have the legs outside of USC. They're the only team I'm afraid of uh, in the Pac-12, and I look at. Their head coach, look, the most against the spread wins in March since 2016, right? I mean, this guy turns it up. He's 22-8-1 against the spread. Um, he's won, you know, four in a row, seven to the last ten they've covered in. I mean, they, they are a team that seems to be getting better as the year goes on. Now, again, USC's inside the top 25. 
Oregon is that team that I think people, you know, look, they're going to get a lower seed. I think people are overlooking this team. Am I on the right track with Oregon? I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, they're going to get a lower seed uh, than they than they deserve. And when you talk about Oregon, you know, they had two stops because of COVID. Uh, they have, you know, in my opinion, one of the top players in the country, Chris Duarte. Um, they have a solid coach. And, you know, if you look towards the end of this, of, of the Pac-12 season, what they did a great job of is they did that little, you know, diamond press. Um, and I think they really started to do it against SC when, when SC went up big uh, and they needed to try to do something different. Uh, they, they've been implementing that in all of their games. And when you get into tournament time, they're going to play a team that hasn't seen Oregon this year, most likely, right? And so having Oregon come out in a diamond press right off the bat, uh, I think Altman's going to do that to shake it up and, uh, I think they, you know, this is potentially a Sweet 16 type type squad that Oregon has. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they're very much flying under the radar. Is there a team in the Pac-12 that maybe I'm even overlooking, considering I'm saying that only USC and Oregon are real threats? Is there somebody else there that maybe we should be taking a peek at? Even if they're, you know, look, they're not going to advance far, but you take them, you say maybe they'll win a round or two. I like Colorado. I just think there's something about Colorado. And, you know, what my old coach Tim Floyd always used to say is point guards rule. March Madness, and you have one of the best point guards in the country in McKinley Wright. Uh, in my opinion, you know, he probably deserved Pac-12 Player of the Year, uh, even though Evan Mobley got it. Um, I think he's one of the best players in all of college basketball. I think he's going to have a terrific NBA career, um, and, and he, can, he can make some noise. And if he's penetrating and dishing like we saw him do against USC in, in Boulder a couple weeks ago, you know, that Colorado team, I think they could win a game or two in the tournament. Yeah, there's always that angle of best player on the floor. I like that angle a lot. We're on the phone with Chris Penrose, host of the Believe in USC Basketball on the Believe Podcast Network. Chris, you know, you mentioned COVID. I don't want to go overly into it, but we'll put a bow on the Pac-12. Then when we get back, I want to talk to you about the rest of college basketball. But do you think that the COVID stoppages hurt the West Coast teams more because obviously in California there was major lockdown. There still are lockdowns, right? And we forget yeah. sometimes that these kids these kids are kids uh, not being in class and not being able to go out and socialize. Do you think it hurt the West Coast teams more because the West Coast seemingly had a down year overall except for maybe Gonzaga? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And you don't need to look any farther than Stanford. I mean, they were practicing – they, they, they were practicing out of hotel rooms. They were practicing in ballrooms. They, they didn't have their first home game until like February. Um, and not only for basketball, but you talk about Stanford's football team too. I mean, those poor kids, you know, they're, they're living out of hotel rooms. They can't see their family. They're not even on campus. You know, they're doing everything via Zoom for their classes. It's just so disrupting. And, you know, no wonder if you look at Stanford's roster, in my opinion, they have one of the better rosters in the entire West Coast, and they just underperformed all year. And I think that definitely had something to do with it. I feel bad for them. Yeah, in a way, uh, the Indianapolis thing, you know, where everybody's going to be playing in the same spot. I know it's different gyms, but look, they're all basically playing in the same spot. There's no travel. There's no concerns. There's no real restrictions on them. It's going to be almost back to normalcy for a lot of these teams, and especially the Pac-12, where they're getting to go, look, these kids aren't traveling during the year. They're getting to go to a different state and see, wow, wait a minute, this is a little bit different. Do you think that the idea, once you get to Indy, it's going to be good for them? I hope so. I, I like that idea. You know, it's, it's somewhat of a little bubble. Um, and, you know, like the NBA taught us last season that, you know, the bubble works. Um, and as long as these kids continue to, you know, go through the proper protocols and, you know, the NCAA continues to provide these teams with everything they need in order to meet those standards, I think everything should be just fine. It is going to be interesting to see if a team, you know, can't produce all those negative tests before the game, what happens then? Because uh, that'll cause a huge shakeup in the tournament and, uh, you know, I, I would I would love to see what the protocols are going to be for that moving forward if that happens. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I'm going to watch here is the teams that get eliminated. What are they doing afterwards? Because, look, they're not getting – they're not walking off the court, getting eliminated, uh, and getting on a plane and going home, right? Yeah, You know, they're going to spend probably a day or so in Indy at that point. They're going to take their time. That's something that I'm going to be paying attention to, Chris, because, it, you know, when you look at – 
these are still kids. I'm not telling you they're going to go out and hit the bars or anything like that, but it is a little <laughs> bit of freedom. You know, it's a little bit of freedom. I, since the, the COVID lockdown, I've been to Florida. And, and when I went to Florida, we went to the beach. We stole social distance. We made sure, but it felt like, whoa, I was able to breathe a little bit. Getting out of the restrictions of New York, and I was able to go to Florida. And I'm, you know, 40-something years old, right? Uh, so if these are 18-year-old kids, you get a little taste of freedom. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about they go out, they go out, uh, you know, party a little bit too much, a, a little bit too hard, and then maybe, like you said, one person gets it, it could shut the whole tournament down. So let's hope that these guys are safe. Let's hope that we get the tournament in. Chris, the Mountain West Conference is another conference where last year San Diego State People were talking about an Elite Eight run for San Diego State. I mean, that's what they're talking about. And now, yeah, San Diego State is inside the top 25, but they don't seem to have that pop. You have a couple of other teams from the Mountain West. I'm looking at it, and I made a comment uh, on the air last week. I'm looking at this as, I'm not sure the Mountain West wins a game in the tournament, Chris. How down am I on the Mountain West? You're pretty down. (laughs) Um, you know, you mentioned San Diego State. San Diego State is a team very close to my heart. I grew up in San Diego. I was a ball boy for the Aztecs for eight years of my life. Um, and I've, I've always been a huge fan of San Diego State. And, you know, last year, you know, you, you talk about feeling bad for kids. I mean, that, that squad with Malachi Flynn and K.J. Fagan and Yanni Wetzel, Matt Mitch, all those guys, I mean, that was, in my opinion, that was a potential Final Four team. I mean, they've only lost, they only lost two games. They were towards the end of the season. And those are kind of the games that you want to, like, scrap. So, so you go into the tournament knowing what a loss feels like. Um, but this year, you know, San Diego State lost a lot of those guys. But Matt Mitchell got player of the year. Uh, Coach Dutcher got uh, coach of the year. And they have a pretty good squad when you have Jordan Shackle that can hit threes all over the place. Terrell Gomez is a transfer from Cal State Northridge. Um, you know, they have kind of all the pieces. And they play great defense. So I think San Diego State will definitely win a game, maybe two in the tournament. Uh, But you look down, you know, everyone was saying the Mountain West Conference could potentially be a uh, four-team bid uh, into the NCAA tournament. Now, it kind of cannibalized uh, the conference a little bit uh, towards the end of the season there. But I think Utah State, you know, they're very well coached, and they can make some noise in the tournament. And then, you know, you look at either Colorado State or Boise State maybe getting that third spot. Um, both those teams have some some sneaky good athletes that people will overlook. Um, but, uh, you know, I think maybe San Diego State by far has the best chance to win a game or two in the tournament, uh, followed by Utah State. Yeah, I'll give you a little uh, a little insight here. I did my research. I know that, that you were tweeting out about San Diego State, so I said, wow, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk to him about Mountain West because I, I know I'm down. Look, I, I do Vegas radio, Mountain West radio. People bash me all the time. I just don't see it this year. Maybe San Diego State does win a game, but outside of that, I mean, Utah State's a, a decent team. I don't see it, and you know what? In a context of filling out your brackets or making bets, I think they're going to get like that dangerous 4-5 seed, which makes it even more mm-hmm. of, uh-oh, wait a minute, who are, you, who are they going to draw there? Uh, that's, that's the bad, right? I, I mean, we talked about uh, what I think about that, but I can't tell you how much I think of this Gonzaga team. Before the year began, I said, guys, I just I just don't see them, uh, anybody stopping them. I thought they'd lose the game early because they had a lot of hour conference games. But I just can't believe how well they are steamrolling, man. And I still somehow think that people are underrating them. They are supposed to win it all, I know, according to the odds. But it's not by this ridiculous margin. How good is this Gonzaga team? I mean, they have all the pieces. They, they have all the pieces. They have size. They have strength. They have good shooting. They have a terrific point guard. Uh, you know, Suggs is one of the best players in, in the country. Uh, and, you know, they they have one of the, the best coaches in all of college basketball, Mark Few. So, I mean, they have all the pieces needed in order to, to make it to the championship game. And, you know, they probably should have won it a couple of years ago. Um, but I, I really like this team. And, of course, you know, being on the West Coast, you know, I want a West Coast team in the Final Four and in the championship game. But, I mean, these guys have everything. And although they have a bunch of transfers that come in, um, you know, th- they look like they've been all playing together for four years. I mean, the way the ball moves, um, you know, they have great outside shooting, uh, and they play lockdown defense. And, and, you know, once you get into the tournament, like I said earlier, if you can play defense, you'll win a lot of games in the tournament, and these guys lock down. Does it make you nervous that – 
BYU outscored them by 12 early this week in the first half, and then only had a 10-point loss. They needed a furious second half to come back. Does it scare you that a team like BYU that, you know, look, they're a 20-win team, they're a good team, but they're not, uh, you know, one of the elites, does it? Does it make you nervous about Gonzaga? Could they have a slip-up in a game where their defense isn't locked down? You know, BYU had a terrific first half in that game, and they made everything. And you could tell that Gonzaga did not come out with the fire and the fury that they usually do. Um, and, you know, I, if, I'm, if I'm Gonzaga, I actually prefer that that happen. You're in a conference championship game. You're down, what was it, 14 at half. And then, you know, you got to claw back because guess what? In the tournament, you might meet a team that all of a sudden hits 10 threes in the first half or something. You're going, holy crap, how did that happen? And you're going to have to to scrape and claw back and try to get back into the game. And now they kind of have a taste of that. They know what it takes. They know what it feels like. So although they didn't lose, uh, they came back and they won. And, you know, Jalen Suggs hit all those threes at the end. And all of a sudden, BYU went from, like, up six to down nine in a blink of an eye. Um you know, I, I think that's good for their for their mentality going into the tournament, knowing that, you know, they almost lost in their conference championship game. And, you know, anything can happen at any time, especially in March. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's good that that happened to them going into the tournament. Yeah, I, I look at some adversity is always good. I, I say that about the ACC every year where they go through the battles, right? We're on the phone with Chris Penrose, mm-hmm. host of the Believe in USC on the Believe podcast network. Uh, Chris? Your thoughts on the Blue Bloods, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the Michigan States. I know, you know look, uh, Michigan State's going to make the tournament. I, the, the Kentucky, you know, they, they might make it. But the Blue Bloods are down this year. It can't be all COVID, can it? No, in, and I think this is what happens sometimes when, when you get a lot of one done. Uh, and you look, you know, this isn't the first time Kentucky has had kind of a down year with a bunch of freshmen, right? They, those, these guys aren't going to be number one, two, and three in the country every single year. And to be honest, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, ESPN and, and college basketball experts across the country say, oh, this is bad for the tournament when this happens. I totally disagree. I love to see some of the Blue Bloods struggle a little bit. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great for, you know, kind of like the mid-level conference teams to come in and maybe get a big upset. Um, I, I think it's great for basketball just in general. It gets boring when you see, you know, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, one, two, three, every single year. So it's great to see a little bit of a mix-up. And I'd love to see Baylor in there. Uh, how about Illinois? Like Illinois getting in the, in, in the top five, like that's fantastic. Um, you see all these teams that are kind of coming out of nowhere, getting votes in the top 25, stepping into the top 25, I think it's a lot of fun to watch. Chris, I gave out two bets on this show preseason. I said, take Gonzaga, but that's the boring one, obviously, to win it all. I said, take Illinois. I loved Illinois. I loved them. And all year long, everyone's going, Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. They beat them without their best player. I love that you touched on that. Um, Okay, so, Chris, you're filling out your brackets, right? Everybody's doing it. I know, look, it's not all set. I know we're still waiting for uh, the official announcements, but who are the four teams that you're saying, you know what, I'm going to have to have these in my final four? Ooh, final four, huh? Man, you're, you're, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, we won't you know, hold we you to it Michigan. because we know the brackets I, aren't out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still like Michigan. I think, I think they have a ton of talent. Um, and, and, you know, I love Juwan Howard as a coach. I think he's the best. Uh, you got to say Gonzaga. You know, I think Gonzaga is is by far probably one of the more talented teams uh, in the country. Um, you know, you look at a team like Ohio State, they have a lot of pieces. They could somehow sneak into the Final Four. I really like them. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go boring. I'm going to say Baylor. I mean, I, I think Baylor is a terrific team. I mean, you saw what they did a couple of weeks ago when they hit like 15 threes as a team. One of their guys went 10 of 12 from the three-point line. I mean, if they can shoot the ball like that, they might have a chance to win it all. What about uh, your angle? You know, what's an angle? You said, you know, guard play. Obviously, that's something that we look at. Best player on the floor, I mentioned that. Uh, Is it that you go with the best coach? Let's say you have a matchup and you're not sure. What's your breaking point? What's your angle that you go with and you say, you know, I'm going to lean this way? It's all about defense, in my opinion. And, you know, the tournament will bring out a lot of emotions. Uh, in these 18 to 22 year old kids. And if you could establish some sort of a defensive game plan, especially when it involves ball pressure and you can speed up the other team, they're going to make turnovers. They're going to make mistakes. Sometimes the stage gets a little too big for some of these players 
And I feel like the teams who can do that and can produce turnovers that lead to easy baskets, that's my angle in a team that can take it to the next level and win the whole thing. And that's why I still kind of like Virginia. I'm on the same mindset there. Thank you for all your time, Chris. That's Chris Penrose, host of Believe in USC Basketball on the Believe Podcast Network. Again, he's a former three-time captain of the USC Basketball, giving us lots of good stuff there. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. You know, I liked a, a couple of things that he said there. You know, and this is a couple of the little betting nuggets that you guys could use and you could throw in when you're filling out your brackets or when you're choosing a team, whatever it might be. Guard play. You know, it's something that I lean towards. I always look at the guard play. I like senior-laden teams. You know, I know that every now and then you get a Kentucky or a Duke and it's got a bunch of freshmen, a bunch of young guys. I like the senior-laden teams. I'll look to that. Coaching advantage is absolutely huge, especially when you don't have time, right? Right. First round's Friday, Saturday, next round Sunday, Monday. You don't have time. You have a day to prepare. Coaching advantage is absolutely massive there. I don't really go by big conference against small conference. You know, I like the small conference teams, and and I like that Chris mentioned some defense. And this is why a team like a Virginia can have a spell where they're down during the year. They're not looking good during the year. You know, they they all of a sudden people start wavering on them. But at the end of the day. Look, Virginia's probably still the best team in the ACC. The ACC, even in a down year, is probably still... Are they better than the Big East or the Big Big Ten? No, probably not. They're still better than the Pac-12. They're still right there with the Big 12. I mean, they're still an elite league. So there are certain situations here. Coaching, absolutely. Defense, sure. Guard play, senior leading. These are all situations that you have to take into account when you're going out there and making some bets. Um, When you're filling out your brackets, when you're doing whatever it is with March Madness, don't only look at matchup against matchup, stat against stat, trend against trend. Also look at the game, the way it's being played on the floor, pace of play, and then the outside factors like coach, guard play, senior-laden team, and whatnot. All right, guys, we've got lots more March Madness talk right after this on Wagering Week. I'm Gary Myers, the host of the podcast, the coach, Tom Brady, and you're listening to Tom Barton on the Sports Garden Network. Now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, what are the odds? The NBA is back. And the odds are will Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors make the NBA playoffs? Yes, minus 115. No, minus 115. This is interesting because where they sit right now, look, Golden State is about a game, half a game out of that eighth spot. They've been shuffling with Dallas. San Antonio's within reach. Denver's within reach. Look, let's be honest. They're only like four games out of the Lakers spot at number three. That's how jumbled the West is. So Golden State, who's been playing a little bit better, you throw in the name where, hey, look, they're playing 12-6 and six basketball at home. Throw in the name of Steph Curry. It becomes a minus 115 proposition across the board. I kind of like it. I kind of am looking at this and I'm saying, you know, I think Golden State might sneak into this thing. So you have Golden State, Steph Curry. Will they make the playoffs? It is dead even money. Will they make the playoffs or not? That is what are the odds? Well, guys, I wanted to talk a little bit. uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of these March Madness trends and things that you should be looking at betting. And I do like to talk about the number one overall seeds, number two overall seeds. I know that it's a conversation a layman's could have. Anybody could kind of have this. But it is a conversation I feel like it's overlooked. When March Madness comes up, all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk about their long shot. They're this guy. Oh, well, this guy's a long shot. Now I'm going to take a shot at this. Look, that might be fine for filling out a $5 bracket here and there. But when you're taking a shot at really a big-time bracket or making money, just don't bet against the number one seeds or the number two seeds in the first round. Just don't do it. The, the number one seeds are, uh, you know, 99 to one. I mean, they lost one time ever. It's actually 135 to one. Uh, they they don't lose. One seeds don't lose. And as a matter of fact, they win nearly 90 percent of their games in round two. So I expect them to not only win but also to cover. When you start to look at the short number ones, number ones that have a line of 20 or less, they absolutely dominate. And they've been doing it more so 80% over the last few years. So number one seeds in a normal year, 
are just absolutely bankable. I like them against the spread. I just like them overall in many situations. The number one overall seed should roll. They should cruise. As a matter of fact, the number one overall seed, not only should they roll and should they cruise, but you know what they should also do? They should cover the spread. Number one seeds are often overvalued, right? You look at it and you go, number one seeds, what do they do? Well, number one seeds crush the early teams. Oh, they absolutely crush them because they're the known names. But they really do. They're 58 and 42 over the the last 100 games. That is a good against the spread percentage. 58% is you're winning money, right? So you're looking at the number one seeds not only to move on and win, but to win with relative ease and to probably crush the spread. What happens is this is almost a little reverse psychology. And let me explain to you what happens with the number ones. What happens with the number ones is everybody knows the big names. Oh, everybody knows that Gonzaga's uh, undefeated. Everybody knows that, you know, Duke's Duke and North Carolina's North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, all the big names. Oh, we know how good they are. But I don't really know this other team. And instead of going, you know what, they're just going to crush them, they're going to roll it. No, no, no. People start thinking, they start outthinking themselves and they start going, ah, oh, 25 points, that's a lot of points. Oh, you know what, they might not care. Oh, they might not give up. Oh, this team had a pretty good year. Oh, they, And you start talking yourself out of the obvious. And you, you see this a lot of times in the NFL, right, where you, you see a, a, a large total. And it happens a lot in the totals. And you go, oh, you know, oh, this total's 51. Yeah, but these, these two teams. And then all of a sudden it's 30 to 30 in the middle of the third quarter. And you're going, ah, oh, it's the obvious. Look, the obvious is betting the number ones to not only win and move on, but to cover. 58% over the last 25 years is pretty good. So I'll take it over the last 100 games, 58% any day. Number one seeds should win. Number one seeds should cover. Number two seeds are an entirely different animal. Number two seeds are going to win. Okay? I mean, they're going to win first round. Uh, Second round, it starts to go down a little bit. But number two seeds are going to win. But they're actually under 500 over the last 100 games. They're under 500 by eight games. They're only hitting about 45%. Over the last 100 games against the spread. So, let's look back. While betting number one seeds, you put number one, if you're talking brackets, put number one to win the first round, put number one to win the second round with general ease in every year. This year, though, I think the number one seeds are a little bit more powerful. I've said all along, I think the top echelon seeds are a little bit more powerful, but the two seeds, oh, the two seeds are a different animal. The two seeds this year, the first couple, I think there's maybe eight, maybe nine elite teams in the conference, in the in the, the country right now. And depending on what conference you're coming from, does that mean that they're going to get a two seed or three seed? But the two seeds, look, they're going to win in the first round. They don't lose, okay? Uh, the two seeds don't lose in the first round. But the second round, there has been some upsets. But what I do know is that two seeds just don't cover. 44% is a bad cover. So that's something to pay attention to when you're looking at that. We also have to look at the obvious notion of national champions absolutely dominate. National champions cover. There was a span where North Carolina, Villanova twice, Duke and Connecticut went 28 and 2 against the spread. Okay, on their route to winning the championship. We're talking about just massive numbers here where number one seeds generally cruise. And you talk about the number one seeds cruising. Guys, the number one seeds just constantly cruise. This year, I think it's even more. Why do I think that this year? Look, there's no travel. There's no uh, getting the crowd crazy. Look, you see a number one seed start to struggle. Ask Virginia a couple of years back. All of a sudden, the crowd is 100%. It doesn't even matter. There's not a person that's not rooting for Oh, here comes the upset. Even have the gambles that go, ah, you're not going to cover the 20-point spread. You might as well lose right outright. You don't have that. You don't have the travel. You don't have anything. Number one seeds should roll this year. Absolutely roll. You then have the big matchup that everybody loves, and that's 5-12, right? 5-12 matchup. Everybody loves 5-12, 5-12, 5-12. That's all anybody talks about. I think it's a little overrated. I do. I think the 5-12 matchup is a little overrated. 5-12 matchup in the past 15 years is about 50%. It's about 50%. Now, they've done a lot better in the last seven years. But remember, the last time we were here just a couple of years ago, uh, all fives moved on. 
I'm not saying it's a bad bet, but I don't think it's an automatic 512 like you will hear other shows saying. You're going to hear on the news. You're going to hear this a lot. 512 matchups are automatic. I don't believe that the 512 is automatic. I think that the 512 is a situation where the 512 needs to be looked at carefully. I've watched a lot of people fill out their brackets and automatically put through all the 12s. I, I will stand in the sports book in Atlantic City next week, and I'm going to hear a lot of conversation about, yeah, I'll just take every 12. You're going to be fine. You want to do that? If you want to go down that road, give me the 11s. The 11s are where I'm looking at. I'll just take every shot at the 11. Going back 10 years now, okay, 10 years, the 11 seeds are exactly 500 against six seeds. That's pretty good. Right. I mean, you're looking at a situation where if you taking if you're taking them on just on the spread, you're going to be over 500 because they're an underdog in every case. So you're going to make money. You'll be making money in that spot. What if you took them on the money line? Well, you'd be cleaning up. Right. You'd be calling me from your jet at that point. If you just took every 11 seed over the last 10 years money line, you'd be doing really well. Now, again, something that you look at and they're 20 and 20. It's 20 games, something that you look at over that spread. You go, wait a minute, how are the 11 seeds? Well, Xavier, USC, Rhode Island, all of them advanced deep into the tournament, going to the Elite Eight, right? I mean, Loyola, Chicago, uh, just a couple of years ago, 2019, both of them, they did well as well. Remember, that was like, oh, here we go. Loyola, Chicago, 11 seeds. So 11 seeds, they win multiple games, but they win against six seeds. While everyone's focused on the 5-12 matchups, I'm going to be sitting there taking advantage of the 11 matchups. Now, I just told you, look, there are hard and fast rules that I think that you just shouldn't do. I I don't think you should be rigid, dig your heels in. But if you're a trend player and you're sitting back and you're a guy that goes, you know what, I'm going to walk up to the ticket counter. I'm going to take money line on every single 12 seed this tournament. Well, if you're going to do that, then why wouldn't you do it with the 11 seeds as well? Why not just say, you know what, I'm betting eight teams, I'm going to take every 11 and every 12 seed, thinking that you're going to be able to make a profit out of that. I'm not telling you that that's my advice to do, but I'm trying to make the argument that the 11-6 matchup is nearly as great as the 5-12, except it's flying under the radar. All the sportsbook managers in the country, and I speak to quite a few of them, they all know 5-12. They all know 5-12. So you're going to get a 5-12 matchup, okay, that no matter what you tell me right now, no matter what you say, no matter how you want to skin this thing, you're getting a 5-12 matchup that the sports books will already mess with the price. They're all going to already fluctuate with it. They're already going to say, okay, we got a 5-12 matchup. The line should be 6. Ah, but it's a 5-12. No, everyone's going to be on that 12. Let's make it 4. You're not going to get the best price because they are so well aware of it. Now, are they aware of the 11-6 seed? Sure, they are, but they know the public doesn't know the 11-6 as much as the 5-12. And it's not what they're thinking. It's what the public will be driven for. The public doesn't understand the 6-11 because it's not on the news. It's not on your daily talking shows. It's not going to be everywhere. Every newspaper in the country this week is going to do a story about the 5-12. It's going to mention the 5-12. You're not going to be able to get away from the 5-12. When the 5-12 matchup comes, oh boy, you're going to hear about it a lot. And you don't think that the 5 team knows it? Oh, sure they do. Of course they do. 11-6 doesn't get talked about it as much. It just doesn't. It's just not on people's radar like it certainly should be. So for me, I mean, I don't I don't agree with just walking up to the counter and taking four teams just because of seeding anyway. It depends on matchups. depends on teams. That Loyola-Chicago team was a good team. You could see that coming. That Syracuse team was a good team. You could see that coming, right? When In 2017, when Xavier was there, Xavier was a big team, man. You saw that coming. USC was good. Rhode Island... They surprised some people, but they shouldn't have. They were senior-laden team. Like, the, there are reasons. So when you're breaking down your five seeds and you're breaking down your 12s, when you're breaking down your six seeds and you're breaking down your 11s, you can go with the theory of just throw it up against the wall and I'm going to make a little bit of money. But why not pick that spot? Okay, that spot where you go, oh, wait a minute, this is a good team. It's a senior-laden team. Like Chris Penrose said, it's got guard play. The defensive uh, efficiency rating is adjusted in my favor. Whatever the situation might be, 
take the time to know the team and then attach it to the 11. Take the time to know the team and then attach it to the 12. Don't just go full out. And one of the worst mistakes you could make, and I saw this happen a couple of years ago, I watched guys going down. It was, it was like watching a car wreck that you didn't want to see. You know how people say, oh, I watch a car wreck like you don't want to take your eyes off? No, 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 no. I wanted to take my eyes off. I just couldn't. And I watched people after the first two five seeds advanced just go crazy the next day. Well, two five seeds advanced, that means both 12s are definitely going to win. There's no way two 12s are going down. There's no way. It hasn't happened in 30 years. And it hadn't happened in 30 years. But guess what? It did that day. And they went crazy. They all loaded up. And then when the third team went down, oh, my goodness. If anybody had a last penny to their name, they're rubbing together. They're taking out pink slip. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's take out a pink slip for my car. Let's take out a mortgage. They went nuts. Because it couldn't happen to all four. At least one 12 seed had to advance. I mean, it just had to happen. And it didn't happen. So don't get yourself in a chasing situation. And the last note on this is, guys, it's COVID. Right? I mean, we are in a COVID era. So expect the unexpected. Sounds so cliche and ridiculous. But it's true. Expect it this year. If all of a sudden, after everything I'm saying, every five seed and every six seed advances, I'm not exactly going to sit back and go, yeah, you know what? That was totally unexpected because I live in a situation where I live in COVID right now. And so do you. And so do these kids. So all the rules kind of get thrown out. That's something I wanted to talk about. How about the eight, nine seeds? This seems to give everybody problems. So I want to break it down because the 8-9 seeds are always the toughest. There's oftentimes where an 8 seed is an underdog to a 9 seed. We see that happen quite often. This is basically 500. I mean, this is as close to 500 as you possibly can get since 1985, 70, and 66. I mean, Look, it's right there. It's 50-50. This is a spot where... Against the spread, the numbers, uh, all of it needs to be carefully talked about. The underdogs have covered, and they've covered at a pretty good clip. They've covered at almost 60%. So when you're taking the 8-9, remember, the 8 might be the underdog. When you're ta- taking the 8-9 in your brackets, I'm taking dogs. Because they are hitting at a 60% clip. If it's a coin flip, and that's what I'm... Look, if you like a team and you've do, done your due diligence and you've looked at the numbers, um, you know, and you've kind of dealt with everything, if you've done all of that, moving up and moving on, and, and you love an 8-9 seed, then throw all this out the window. This conversation is for people that want to make a right bracket choice. And they're stuck because the eight sign uh, nine seed is usually a coin flip, right? It's usually all right. Let's let's flip this coin and hope for the best. That's what you're usually looking at. And if you're looking at an eight sign nine seed, where well, let's flip a coin, let's hope for the best, let, let's let's hope and pray. Go with the underdog. I mean, take the points. That that's proven to be nearly a sixty percent winner over the years. I would say stay away from the eight nine seeds. Right. I mean, just kind of stay away from them. They really what they really do is they they don't win the next round. Right. Eight seeds are winning uh, like a 20 percent clip. Nine seeds are like a 10 percent clip. Eight, nine seeds. Don't stress over. I would say don't touch them. If you're filling out your bracket, go uh, just 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 get rid of the eight, nine seeds. I mean, dead serious. Just just throw it against the wall. Don't uh, one of them has to win the first round. They're not winning the second round. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is at this point. The numbers are bearing that out to just a massive extreme. Don't bet on them to win the second round game, the 8-9 seed. So don't stress about it in the first round. It probably, 8-9 seed, historically, they're not going to blow up your bracket. Right? I mean, you're looking at who can blow up your bracket. A one seed going down, it just happened one time. Yeah, your bracket's done. If you had Virginia going all the way, your bracket's finished the end. Okay, but that just doesn't really happen. You could get caught with a two seed because two seeds do go down in that second round. So if you're talking about bracketology and and putting your brackets uh, together, I wouldn't be putting two seeds to the final four. I wouldn't put two seeds going all the way, which is not something that I'm going to be doing, regardless of the team in most cases. Not not a rule that is 100%. Most cases, I want to stay away from those twos because I do understand. In this year, 
it, to me, it's the ones, maybe a couple of twos. You look at uh, a couple of threes. Threes have some success. Fours have some success. And then you get into what we talked about, the five sixes, the sevens, the eights, the nines. I mean, this is where, where we're going. So if you're looking for some some bracket information, take what I just told you, move with it, but understand everything has to be done with the teams. If you're looking at a betting standpoint, this isn't go out there and load up on the on the 11 seeds because Tom loves them or load up uh, on the five seeds because he thinks it's going to be a bad year for that. No, I don't even know the teams, okay? It's not even that. The teams have not been set. This is just what I put as a baseline. Now what I do after I put the baseline, I'm hoping. I'm hoping and praying. I'm hoping I get myself a good 11 seed. Give me give me somebody real good for those 11 seeds. And I circle that game, and that's the one that I'm liking, right? For the 8-9 seeds, give me a good second-round matchup where the 8-9 seed isn't a massive underdog, right, which they probably will be. But give me that matchup because they're not going to win. So give me spots like that. Give me situations like that. When I'm talking about 80% winners here, 20% winners here, there is a disparity. But it all matters upon the team itself. So when we start getting into this, we're looking down into the future, into that second round. But as we look down into the future and everything else that we're doing with it, just understand it's all flexible once you do know the teams. Speaking of looking into the future, here is Bet to the Future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to to the future. Bet to the future. All right, guys. Dallas Cowboys minus 125. Philadelphia Eagles plus 260. Giants and Washington six to one odds. That is to win the NFC East after Dak Prescott signs. That is bet to the future. Well, guys, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys here, Dak Prescott, and what that all means because these odds, I see some value in Dallas at minus 125. The immediate reaction from everybody basically was, all right, look, the immediate reaction uh, to the Dallas Cowboys getting him, well, you know, they overpaid, they got robbed, uh, but they are the division favorites now. They are uh, the conference in the conference conversation of at least top five. I think probably top three. I'm no Dallas Cowboy fan, but I see a path to their success. Now, will they execute that path? I'm not sure. Dak Prescott signed four-year, $160 million contract. He's getting $126 million guaranteed. He's getting a no-trade clause. He's getting a contract that at age 32, he's going to be able to get another contract. Okay? Um, Dak Prescott has some negatives to him, doesn't he? He has one career playoff victory. He has never led the league in anything. Not passing, not completions, not attempts, not touchdowns. Nothing, nothing. He's never led his team in anything. He's not a playoff guy, but he does win. He's also coming off a pretty bad ankle, leg injury, okay? He's got a lot of negatives. But in this market where... The quarterbacks are just going for crazy amounts. People are doing anything. They're offering four or five first-rounders are being thrown about, about guys like Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Dallas had to make this move. And Dallas has a window here where I know Dallas haters are going, oh, come on, they're not a Super Bowl team. The NFC right now is weak. Right now, I think Washington has a great defense. They don't even have a quarterback on the roster. Okay, so right now, Washington... Philly and the Giants are a joke compared to Dallas. So at the very least, you get Dak Prescott, you know what? You got a shot at a division title. At minus 125, I kind of like it. I kind of like that. Then you look at the totality of the NFC. Green Bay is good. Who else is good in that division? Chicago doesn't have a quarterback. Uh, Detroit, they just got Jared Goff. Uh, That doesn't make me feel good. And Minnesota's on the downturn. So you got Green Bay. We'll give them one. Then you have Tampa Bay. Obviously, Tampa's Tampa. New Orleans just lost that quarterback. Carolina's still a year or two away from up and coming here. Atlanta's on the downturn. So you got two teams ahead of them. You go to the West that everybody loves. Arizona. Look, J.J. Watt goes over and they didn't even move in the line. I'm not going anywhere near Arizona. The Rams. Everybody seems to love them. I'll throw them up there at three. I don't think they're marketably better, but I'll throw them up at three. San Francisco may not have a quarterback at this point. Uh, Seattle didn't even make the playoffs last year. So let's say... there's three teams sure, sure better than Dallas, and then they're in that realm. Is Dallas Seattle? Yeah, they're right there with Seattle. Is Dallas right there with San Fran? I think they're right there. At worst, Dallas is a playoff team 
at worst, they're in the mix for a championship in the NFC. I think that means you had to go pay Dak Prescott. Now, I do think that this team spent way too much money on offense and not enough on defense. But I think that's more of a reflection of of Zeke Elliott. I don't think this contract is very Dallas-friendly. No, I don't. Absolutely not. I think they need a lot on defense. And here's where the rub comes in. I'm okay with this team signing Dak Prescott to this conference, to this contract, in this conference. If this was in the AFC, I'd say no way. But you can win with a few adjustments. What they need to do, though, is load up on defense in the draft. You can't even sort of look at offense. You can't. You can't even sort of eye an offensive player in the draft. You have to go defense, 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 and more defense. This is what they need to do. They have to go all in, full bore, here we go on defense. They need some defensive improvements. Now, they basically, you say, well, they have a four-year window, right? I mean, that's what you look at. You go, you have a four-year window because Dak, if he's not winning in four years, he might be out of town. He may have wasted this contract in this situation. Well, I don't even think you have a four-year window. I I don't. To me, you have a four-year window because of Dak. But Ezekiel Elliott is going to be 26 years old. There's a lot of mileage on those legs, okay? I'm going to say knock off a year because you don't want Ezekiel Elliott at, at 30. We know what happens to running backs after 28. I'll give Zeke two, maybe three more years, okay? That's what you got to look at with, with Zeke. You look at a guy like Amari Cooper. You look at, I, I know CeeDee Lamb just took over his place, but Amari Cooper's 26 turning 27. You start to get into that range. These guys don't have as big of an arc and as long as a window as you think they do. If you go out and you draft defense, which is what I'm assuming you're going to have to go out there and do, they need at least a year to kind of gel. So when I look at the Dallas Cowboys this year, am I going to have Super Bowl money on them? As it stands now, no. I don't think it's the craziest thing to say that they could be in the Super Bowl, though. So how far is their window down? Well, the NFC is down The NFC East is down, but for how long? If Washington goes out there and drafts a quarterback, which they likely will, can't expect him to be good this year, but in two years? In three years? Oh, yeah. Daniel Jones may be not good for the last two years, but in a year or two? Yeah, he can be. Can Jalen Hurts be good this year? Probably not great, but in two years? Yeah. So the rest of the NFC is saying, you know what, Dallas? NFC East. They're saying, you know what, Dallas? It's your bowl game for the next what are, you, what are we going to say? 24 months, right? 24 to 30, 30 months. It's your ball game for the next two years. Next two seasons, Dallas. It's your ball game. You got to do something. Dallas is sitting here going, okay, we're only signing you to a four-year contract, Dak. We got to win in the next two or three years. I think they know that. And that's why I'm okay with this contract. I'm okay with this contract because of that. I believe that Dallas has to make this huge push. Now, they don't really have money to go out there and spend on free agents anymore with the bad salary cap this year. So this year, you go defense, defense, and more defense in the draft. Next year, when the salary cap goes up, all of a sudden, you could go spend on defensive players and defensive free agencies, and the salary cap moves up into defensive free agency. Boom, you have a championship team. But will they do that? So this move to me on the surface, I know Dallas got robbed. I know Dak got everything they wanted. Maybe Dak's not worth the money. I think in the nature and the business but where we sit, it almost had to be done. Let's talk about that salary cap real quick. It's It was supposed to be about $183 million. That's with projections. It's 182.5, about a half a million dollars less. But it's about 15 or $16 million less than it was last year. Okay, so that's massive, which means a lot of guys are going to get cut. A lot of veterans are going to get cut, and we're starting to see it already. Emmanuel Sanders got cut. John Brown, Joe, uh, Galladay is, is fantastic. He didn't get cut. They just didn't sign him. Hunter Henry tagged is Godwin and Robinson. So wide receivers all of a sudden are going to be all, all over the field. Godwin and Robinson are taken away, but Galladay, John Brown, Manuel Sanders, you're starting to think, well, maybe I could have a stopgap for a year. Maybe you could grab one of these guys on a one-year contract that are into their 30s and get a stopgap. Now, Galladay is kind of a franchise type of guy. I see him, Dolphins, Jets, we know that they need wide receivers, makes a lot of sense. 
The last thing I want to touch on is the Chicago Bears. The Bears are getting desperate, and as the Bears get desperate, I'm starting to hear the groundswell of Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. The more I think about it, the more I think that the Bears have to make a move. Who's available right now are the Andy Daltons of the world, of course, the Nick Foles of the world. You want to bring Trubinsky back and run it back, Cam Newtons of the world. Things that will get Ryan Pace fired. Things that will get Matt Nagy fired. And I think that these guys know that their job is on the line. I believe that these guys are well aware that my job is on the line unless we make a move. So all of the conversation and all the talk about, wow, the Bears are offering three first-rounders. Oh, it'll kill them for the future. First of all, the Bears have been terrible. They've sucked making first-round picks for a long time. Let's just be honest. Okay, that's number one. Number two, look at this as a business perspective. You're Matt Nagy, man. You're sitting there going, I can't win with what you're giving me. I can't. I backed into the playoffs. I barely was able to hold together. I did it with Mitch Trubinsky. Go get me a real quarterback. I could win 10, 12 games with this team. So there's pressure there. Ryan Pace hasn't done it. Ryan Pace put all his chips into the basket of Mitch Trubinsky. You know how you could forget about Ryan Pace doing that? Go out and get Russell Wilson. Because you're not going to be around if those picks, you know, for those, well, you know what? You don't want to hamper the franchise in three years. Well, Matt, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, you guys aren't going to be here in three years. So it starts to become a business decision that you look at and you start to say, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? It sort of makes sense to have a business decision structure and you go, yeah, this makes some sense that the Chicago Bears, maybe it's not the smartest thing that you're doing by going out there and offering three, four, five first rounders, whatever they wind up offering but it makes some sense to do it. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. I will tell you, March Madness, I am pumped up. I am really, really pumped up and excited to get this underway. Guys, Gonzaga's the number one seed. We know it. I'm a little leery out there. 16 teams have entered the tournament undefeated. The last one was 2015 Kentucky. I was a little bit leery. I like Gonzaga. I like everything they do. Seventh in defensive efficiency. Number one in offense. You know that they're rolling through people. It just hasn't been done very often. The 16, you know, the 26-0 looks good. But when you get into that Sweet 16, you start to get into that Elite 8, you start to get into that Final Four, the competition and the pressure starts to get to you. I don't know if this Gonzaga team, and I don't think they're as good as that Kentucky team, and they went down. If I'm a betting man, and oh, by the way, I am, I don't think Gonzaga wins the championship. I'm kind of hoping I'm wrong, but I don't think they do. Now, I don't think they get picked off early. Elite eight, potentially, probably that first game in the Final Four. Because I don't think they're going to get to a championship game and lose it. They get to that championship game. That seems like a win to me. All right, guys, I'm Tom Bard for WannaBet Weekend Edition. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.